Welcome to Inside Medical Malpractice. My name is Chris Rokosh. I'm a registered nurse, legal consultant and educator, and the president of Connect Medical Legal Experts. Each month, we'll be looking at the malpractice issues from different perspectives, featuring honest, candid, insightful interviews by people and professionals with a wealth of information to share. Thanks for spending time with me today. Now let's dive into this fascinating subject. Welcome back to Inside Medical Malpractice and Round 2 with Olivia Scobie, co-founder of the Canadian Perinatal Mental Health Training and a registered social work counsellor. Olivia was our guest in the first of a four-part series on trauma-informed lawyering. That episode is just brilliant and insightful and a great primer on the next three episodes to come. But now we're back to talk to Olivia about herself and find out more about what makes her tick and what goes on outside of her work life. So welcome, Olivia, and thank you once again for being here. Thank you. Um, I was just saying, I, I don't know how much I have to say about myself, but we will we'll see where this this takes us. I, I'm not used to talking about myself this much. Yeah, well, let me be the counselor for this episode, and you just talk all you want, and I'll analyze everything you have to say. <laughs> no, let's just start, because I'm so interested. I think your background is fascinating. Your knowledge and your skill set is so fascinating, which makes me think that you are probably also a pretty interesting person outside of your work life, or that you've had some, you've got some stories to tell. So let's just start there. What do you do when you're not working? I work a lot. So I, I mean, I will say um, that because I'm doing my PhD right now, a lot of my time is taken up reading, um, which is fine. And I, I love to read, but I read almost no fiction. I read mostly nonfiction. Um, but there's a few things that I, I like to do, even if I don't get to do them as much um, as I as I used to. I really like to go dancing. Um, that's probably one of my favorite things to do. My partner and I will often go hit the like queer clubs, the gay clubs in Toronto. Um, but I'm really particular about the music that we listen to because I only want to go dancing if it's top 40 music that I can sing along to. If it's not, if, it, if there's no singing, like I don't want to be there. Um, and this has led to, because my partner runs at um, where they work, they run the like the pride events um, this has come and they do a float every year. I'm vying for the position of the DJ on the like float and I've never DJed and I don't even have DJ equipment, but I have a secret dream, I think of getting on, uh, on the DJ float and it would be the best set list that you've ever heard in your entire life. Oh God. <clears throat> That's so funny. It's pride weekend here in Calgary and I'm just, my daughter is, has a great honey business and she's selling honey at the Pride Fest this weekend. And I'm just literally on my way down there. So I'm going to think of you the when I hear music, especially the top 40 stuff that you can shake and dance and sing to. I'm going to think of you for the rest of the weekend. That's awesome. <laughs> Tell me um, what you were like as a kid. I had to call my mom for this one um, because I think I was a lot of the same things that I am now. She said that I was a, a bit bossy as a child, which she reframed as like natural leadership um, combined with like a much softer caring side. And so 
I've forgotten this, that I would watch these infomercials for the Toronto Humane Society and I would be crying and I'd be, I would collect money um, and like until I had $5 and I'd be like, mom, I need you to mail this to the Toronto Humane Society because they do need a fundraiser. Um, so mixed with both, like I like lost other people around combined with um, being a pretty tender hearted kid. Oh, that's so sweet. I feel like you and I have are probably some kind of similar people because I also did that. Although my, um, I'm very kind hearted. I, I'm a nurse, and I think I'm, I think I've been a pretty good nurse. But I also had that edgy side that I would I collected money for UNICEF one year, but I used it to go see the movies. <laughs> like I stole the money and went to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> but the rest of my life, I was I was a caretaker of puppies and kittens and anybody else who might need nursing help. You know, it was my favorite thing when someone was bleeding. I'm going to ask you three quick questions. One, two, and three. Favorite food? Oh, um, Egyptian brunch. I particularly like this like date grilled cheese. It's amazing. Amazing, amazing. I have never heard of that, but I'm going to go figure out what that is and eat it. Egyptian brunch. Yes. If you ever come to Toronto, Maha's has the best Egyptian brunch in the city. It's delicious. Oh my goodness. All right. How about favorite song? Oh, there's a song called Safe and Sound by Huxley Workman, who is a Canadian singer songwriter um, that I like a lot. I used to sing it to my kids when they were little. Um, it's a short little sweet song about feeling safe you want to sing it for us now i do not want to sing it right now <laughs> i'm a dj not a singer <laughs> come on olivia <laughs> okay favorite tv show or netflix series whatever you're watching these days favorite show ultimate favorite show is naked and afraid i don't know if you've ever heard of it ridiculous um they take I love reality TV. I don't do a lot of heavy shows because my work is heavy. Um, and so they take two people that like to live like camp essentially. Um, and they get naked and they drop them somewhere in the world and they have to survive for three weeks. There's like different iterations, but this is the base. Um, I love this show. It's, it's, there's always conflict. I've learned so much about like, early survival and then they even did it in Canada once um they had them at uh up at Lake Simcoe in Ontario but they almost froze to death and so I don't like it when it's cold the whole time I like to see them like eat and <laughs> stay warm oh my gosh well okay I'm gonna have to look at that show I've never heard of Egyptian brunch I've never heard of Naked and Afraid or the song or the song you told me about so I'm learning all sorts of stuff from you today Tell me, if you weren't a social work counselor, what career path might you have chosen? Something with books. Um, I used to work at uh, a bookstore um, for my teen years. I worked at, a, at Chapters. I often say it was the best job I ever had because you just got to read and talk to people about books. Um, but I think I would have made a really good librarian. I think I would have really enjoyed building book collections and helping people with research. So probably, probably that. I agree. And looking at you, I think you could pull off the librarian look very, very well. <laughs> what um, a little bit more serious question. What is your top strategy for happiness in your life? I, I guess two things come to mind. The first would 
be to not make happiness the goal. Um, and there's a really good book called The Antidote, Happiness for People Who Hate Positive Thinking by Oliver. Sorry, Oliver. I can't remember your last name. Um, uh, maybe I have it on my bookshelf. Buchman, Oliver Buchman. Um, and the, really, I read it years ago now, but really sort of gave me a new frame around like what makes us so unhappy about the constant quest for happiness rather than trying to just work with what we have in terms of our life circumstances in front of us often brings us a greater sense of peace, um, joy and peace. And then the second thing I would think about is to think about the collective happiness. Again, when it's just our own, I think that it drives a lot of um, discontent in terms of makes us more achievement based in terms of our happiness, um, rather than thinking about like, how do we help everybody feel good? And that like looking to community, I think we drive a lot more long term happiness when we're rooted in that. That is a really lovely thought. And a really nice piece of advice to think about collective happiness. There's no doubt that, you know, volunteering and helping and supporting other people makes you happier, period. That's all there is to it. So that's good. What advice, if you could, <clears throat> would you go back and give your younger self? I think the personal work I've done around self-compassion that came later, I, I wish I'd go back and be like, start that earlier. That, um, like, be a little nicer to yourself. Um, you can get all the places you're hoping to go, but be nice. Like you can do, you can do both. <laughs> I think that I had, um, uh, because I had children so young, there was this real sense of like catching up. I had to do like, I need to get caught up in like in adulting in a, in a particular way. It was very difficult financially for many years. Um, and so I think I just would have been a little nicer to myself throughout that process. Mm. Another great, great, great thing to share with us. Thank you. And I think I would, again, agree with you. I turned 65 this year, and when I look back at my life, I'm like, I did all those things. They all happened. It all turned to the corners that it needed to turn, and things showed up when they needed to show up. And I could have spent a lot less time worrying about how and when, how and when things were going to come to be, come to pass. Good. That's good advice for you to have with your own self right now at this point in your life too. What's the thing that people most often get wrong about you? That I'm extroverted, I think, because um, uh, I do a lot of teaching. People think that I am really extroverted and really my personal slogan is like, I just want to be alone with my books. Um, so I, I, do, uh, I do really just like to hang out doing very low-key things. I don't even leave my house often, <laughs> to be totally honest. Um, I, often, I send my representative to work. It's another one of my personal slogans. Oh, that's good. And your representative is your teacher self? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> well, I said this to you off camera, and I'm going to say it to you again. You are such a good teacher, Olivia. You made so many things clear and interesting and human to Steve, the producer, and I were talking about it, as you know, and it was, I just loved that last hour and a half with you. I just loved it. It was awesome. Thank you so much. Such a good teacher. Okay, one last question. <laughs> Who has had an important influence on your life, real or otherwise, and how have they influenced you? 
probably um, my old boss and now friend, uh, her name is Lori Sancy. Um, I worked at a college in Toronto and she was my first boss coming out of my undergrad. And I was pretty hard on myself then. I think at the job interview, she asked me what my strengths were. And my response was like, I don't know if I have any strengths, but I can do this piece of research for you, I think was my answer. Um, but she she had this ability. She's now a like leadership development coach and like organizational consultant. But she had this ability to um, uh, see parts of me that were hard to see in myself. And she just held them as truths until that could get caught up in my own system. So she just saw me as somebody who was smart and saw me as somebody with like good ideas that I should execute. Um, and so she really took me from, you know, I was just started grad school where you are just critiqued all of the time from somebody who's like, I don't really know anything. Like I'm just trying to fumble along here um, to give me a sense of, um, confidence in in work that nobody had ever done before nobody had ever told me I was smart before usually I got a lot of feedback around like why did you have a child so you know, like I had more of that feedback and so she really I think shaped like uh the trajectory of like what happened with my life I don't know if I had landed somewhere else with a mean boss um what would have happened to me so I'm forever grateful to, to Lori for that mm. Well, I hope Lori's listening today, or you send this to her so she can listen. So she, yeah, do that so she knows. So she knows. Well, thank you. Thank you once again, Olivia, for the very generous sharing of your time and in this podcast of yourself. If you haven't listened to the other longer podcast by Olivia, the one on trauma informed lawyering, don't miss it. It's going to make you just a little bit smarter and give you some amazing insights into all sorts of things. And I wish I'd met you and listened to you talk about 40 years ago. I think I would have been a different person. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was such a delight um, to chat with you and such an honor to be invited into this space. So um, I'll just continue <laughs> with the series. And thanks once again to all of you who are listening. Um, again, this is uh, Olivia's podcast is part one of a four-part series on a series on trauma-informed lawyering. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe, and leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. And don't forget that in many jurisdictions, nurses, doctors, and lawyers can claim continuing ed for listening. The podcast is available on all the usual platforms and on the Inside Medical Malpractice YouTube channel. For nurses in the U.S., you can listen and receive credit on CE Broker. And if you're a malpractice lawyer who needs a healthcare expert of any kind, uh, give us a call. It's connect at connectmlx.com. We're here to help you. And thank you and take good care of yourself.